As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Barber <laughs> with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Gives off to Amos. He's yes. good. He's, He's good. good. He's good. He's Jordan back to kick. It's blocked again. Picked up. It'll be a touchdown, Carolina, for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season. It's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan beat Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome into another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We are back in, I guess, preseason mode right now, but we're heading towards season mode. So that means this will be a weekly podcast. We will be back getting you guys ready for the 2019 season. Of course, before we head to our kickoff special that we're doing beforehand. That'll be a live podcast. We're actually going to be on camera, so you can see our ugly faces on camera. And uh, we're going to be out hanging out at Moo and Brew in Charlotte, right down the block from the stadium. It's about 10 minutes away. Um, that'll be on August 31st, Moo and Brew. It's located at 1300 Central Avenue in Charlotte, North Carolina. We want you guys to come out, hang out with us. Um, we got Ryan Houston, who's expected to stop by. Mark May, we talked to him. He's uh, potentially going to stop by as long as his son Drake is not on an official visit. And uh, we'll try to get some other guests. We're trying to work a few things around, um, but who knows? We'll have some great talk uh, that'll get you ready for not only the South Carolina game, but the 2019 season. But we're going to get you ready on the Heel Tough blog podcast with today's edition where we'll talk about the breakout players for the 2019 season. One thing that I did want to address is that we did have a recruiting podcast for you guys that was supposed to catch you up on everything recruiting for the Tar Heels, uh, it was right after Miles Murphy's commitment, and we had welcomed back on Zach Hubbard, who was back with us. He's going to be our recruiting analyst, but for some reason, n- I'm not sure why, but I was under the impression that I had posted it, and it was not up. I went back and looked through all the files on my computer, and for some reason, it is not in there. Um, I am not sure. I even started back up Adobe Audition, and unfortunately, it didn't pull that episode back up. So that episode is completely lost, but we will try to regroup on the recruiting front at some point. Um, Don't know what exactly we're going to do, but we will definitely get you guys caught up on everything that's going on recruiting. We'll have Zach back with us. He's going to be our guy that's going to handle our recruiting stuff, but when it comes to the in-season stuff, that's still going to be Josh Marlowe who's here with me today. Buddy, we are getting so much closer to the season um, now with almost a month away um i'm assuming the excitement is starting to finally kick in yeah i told you the other day we've hit that point of the summer uh golf is over for us tennis is is done i'm ready to see some people put some pads on and not the crap out of each other well we don't have to wait that long august 2nd is the start of fall camp and there'll be storylines coming out of course the biggest storylines we're going to talk about. But let's talk about some of the storylines that we saw from the ACC kickoff, and we'll do that in the opening drive. And we'll start with talking about probably the biggest storyline that will come out of fall camp, the one that everybody's going to be following for the third straight season, which is the quarterback situation. This is a quarterback battle that, as I told you, I think it's a little bit different than in the past few years. 
In the past few years, I think the lack of talent was the reason for quarterback battles. This year, it's because of a surplus of talent. And we got three guys, two redshirt freshmen, Cade Fortin, who, of course, started the last game of the season last year against NC State, also started the game against Virginia Tech before coming out before halftime with an injury. Saw Jace Reuter. He played a little bit in the game against Georgia Tech. Uh, I think it was two drives, maybe three, before he had to leave with an injury as well. Um, And then we'll have the true freshman, Sam Howell, the highly touted true freshman that came from Indian Trail, North Carolina. That was the biggest pickup for Mac Brown late in that 2019 class. And these guys are neck and neck as we head into fall camp. There wasn't really a whole lot that Mac gave away. Um, I think that we learned maybe just how close they were with the fact that Mac said they did a game of rock, paper, scissors to decide who would be the starting quarterback. That's the reason that they went with Sam Howell over the other two guys. So as you look at this this quarterback situation, I mean, one of the big questions that I've had from a lot of people is, do you actually believe that this race is really that close, or do you think this is coach speak? I'm interested to see what you think about this as as, as being someone that's you know, not quite as connected as maybe maybe I am. Wow. Uh, thanks for the low blow. No, this is definitely <laughs> fact that it's, it's as close as Mac Brown is saying it is. If a guy would have separated himself, I think he would tell us that, okay, this guy has shown us more. They've all had glimpses in spring ball where they had had individual days or practices or even the spring game, for instance, because you've mentioned, well, Cade Fort really struggled in the spring game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I think it is as close as we're being led on to believe. Kind of expected because, A, the talent level is is high on all three. Mm-hmm. Matt Brown has said all these these guys could play for him when he was at Texas. That gives you kind of confidence, kind of talent we have with that position. You're learning a new offense um, that demands a lot at the line of scrimmage. So for young guys, even though Reuter and Fortin have a little bit of experience – under Larry, they weren't demanded a lot at the line of scrimmage. Everything was kind of already preset for them. Mm-hmm. So they're having to adjust to that. So I think this is going to be something that will drag us into the final week of practice. I would, You would imagine if it's as close as they're saying it is right now. Right. Um, but I think when we show up to Charlotte, August 31st, we'll have a quarterback. I, I'm going to be intrigued because I think that they could go – with splitting time, but I I think that Mac and his staff are going to know how to handle that a little bit better than Larry and his staff did. Um, you know, Phil Longo, for the most part, was normally pretty settled at his quarterback position. Um, so, I mean, we, we don't have a ton of things to go off of, of how he would rotate two quarterbacks. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's it's definitely possible, but I feel confident in the fact that if you look at when they were rotating two quarterbacks these last couple of seasons, that was mainly because they just couldn't figure out who they wanted to start because neither one of them ever really got any significant momentum. It never happened with Surratt. It never happened with Elliott. I think with these three guys, it'll be a little bit different. I have a feeling that early on in fall camp, I would say within the first probably four or five practices one of the guys will probably fall behind the other two. Um, I, I would assume there'll they'll be a little bit of ground made up by a, a couple of guys, and then it'll just be a battle from there. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting with the fact that Mac Brown said, you know, he's also having to play the transfer possibility, I guess would be the word, with these two guys or with these three guys because he doesn't want to name a guy – a starter or a leader in the pack and have one of the guys transfer out because they could come in, you know, the, the guy that could supposedly be in third place amongst them in his mind could come out and have a really good fall. Um, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned it. All three of them had their things that they did well. Thought Howell and Reuter had great spring games. Heard a lot of stuff about how Reuter really looks the part. There were some questions about whether or not he would be able to handle playing in a more pass-heavy offense considering he was in a run-heavy offense at the high school level. Um, there hasn't been any trouble for him there. And we heard at times that Cade Fortin was the guy that was gripping the playbook the best, which is something that is very important in this offense. Um, you know, Ultimately, 
and we heard this last year, but I think this is definitely the truth when it comes to Mac Brown. And with the guys that we have in place, it shouldn't be that big of a concern. It comes down to who moves the change the best. Who, score, who puts this team in the end zone? And these guys are not limited. We talked about that last year on here and really just amongst ourselves. Nathan Elliott limited this offense a year ago. I don't see that happening with these three guys that we have now. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. I think all three are more than capable of moving this offense up and down the field. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see Carolina getting back to scoring the the way we grew accustomed to seeing them score early on when Larry Fedora first got here. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, with even with with Elliott, you know, if you if you couldn't run the ball, he wasn't going to win games with his arm, mm-hmm. and we couldn't really run the ball. And with Surratt, it was. He had these the extra stuff, the mobility and the ability to improvise, and that's just you're not going to win a lot of games with that kind of quarterback play. Where like that's what you you're hanging your hat on. Well, he's going to make something work. Right. That's not going to happen, especially as, as ACC's gotten tougher as a conference overall to win at the level that we want to win at. Um, so you're right. I think all three guys are more than capable. They are, the arm talent is there with all three guys. They can make the throws that we haven't been able to make since Mitch Trubisky was here. Right. Um, and that's going to be a big part of what – I mean, we've been saying that for three years. we got to move the ball deep. With all three guys, we can do that again. Well, we we yeah. believe. That was what made the 2015 and 16 offenses so lethal was the fact that you had Mac Hollins who could get down the field, but you had a quarterback that, that could, could get, him, get the ball. him the ball. There were always questions about Marquise Williams. We heard it for so long. You know, does this guy have the arm? His deep ball was as good as we've seen. Right, right. And there were so many questions, especially after the South Carolina game that we played in Bank of America Stadium in 15. Um, We remember that. Of course, there were, you know, people, there, there was a local newspaper calling for him to be removed from the starting role, put Mitch Trubisky in there. Now, of course, now we look back and say, okay, maybe it wouldn't have been the worst thing, but I don't think they would have won 11 games. I I don't. I I just don't. You know, Mitch would have had an adjustment period. He had that whole summer before 16 where he was the guy. So it would have been different. But now I think we're starting to realize after the last two years how good of a quarterback Marquise Williams was, how good of a stretch the Tar Heels had a quarterback. I mean, you got to think going all the way back to Darian Durant, you had smooth transitions from Durant to Yates to Renner to Williams to Trubisky. And and these last two years, it just hasn't been there. So may I, I, it looks like they're going to get back to that. But there will be some bumps in the road early. I want people to understand that, especially with the new offense. And Mac Brown kind of clarified that to us on – Thursday, what that offense is going to look like. While it's listed as an air raid offense, I love the fact that he is pointing towards Oklahoma as to what style of offense he wants to run, which is an offense that could move the ball through the air if they had to. If they got to throw the ball 50 or 60 times in a game, they can do it. If they find that the running game is the better way to move it, someone's locking you down through the air and your running game's working really well, they're going to run the football. Um, He said that, you know, that was what happened with Ole Miss. I think year one, it did. I think last year without Jordan Wilkins, it wasn't quite as effective for Phil Longo. I think he felt that he had to throw the football more, which he had a good quarterback in Jordan Tayamu that could move the football. Um, so I'm interested to see, but do here, here's the thing. We heard this with Larry so many times. Do you believe that this is what is actually going to happen under Phil Longo, that this team will be more balanced and lean on the run game if it's the strength? If they want to win games, yes, mm-hmm. because you're going to basically have a, you're going to have a freshman quarterback one way or another lining up in shotgun. Yep. Um, if you can't run the football, you're not going to win. It's that's the nature of this sport. If you can't run the ball, you're not going to win at the level that Mac Brown is talking about wanting to win at. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to talk about competing with Clemson. You're not going to go out there and beat Clemson throwing it 60, 70 times. You're you, you're going to have to be able to run the ball. Um, so yes, I do think. And, and look, this backfield. There's been talent ever since Larry Fedora got here. He's always kept talent at mm-hmm. the skill positions. That's not any different this year. Michael Carter's back. Antonio Williams is back. I mean, there's there's depth there like there's never been. Right. I mean, you've got what, three or four guys that we could probably say could tote the rock and probably give us production. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I'd say three because um, Javante Williams definitely is is a guy yeah. that just continues to improve. So I, I I expect them to run the ball right at a very good level. And Mac Brown's saying that he said that what he likes about the offense is that it has the elements of the air raid along with the power running game that he always loved when he was at Texas. And I mean, we remember some of the guys that he had in his time at Texas. And it makes sense why he's going to want to focus on running the football a little bit more than maybe in the past with Larry Fedora. And, I mean, Butch Davis, for the most part. But that was a whole different style of just the. And the the talent, to me, wasn't quite as high. Um, Yeah, Sean Drone was was talented. Ryan Houston was as well. But Ryan Houston, we we knew what Ryan Houston was. Outside of that, I mean, you got to remember some of the guys he had. Anthony Elsey, who was a converted fullback. Um, you know, he was kind of a guy that just had to find guys to run the football, and it worked. He still had guys that ran the football well. Larry has had talent, and just I, I never misused thought he, it. Yeah, he never utilized it. Now, yeah. Michael Carter's got to stay healthy. Yes. He's got to. That's one of the big things. But even if he doesn't, Antonio Williams and Javante Williams as a one-two punch is Are, still one yeah. of the best in the ACC, I believe. And there's also going to be, I think, the the short passing game is an extension of the running game. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see that a lot more this year where we're just saying, okay, here's a three-yard pass to Daz, now go make a play. And that's also going to open things up in your passing game deep down the field, but also is going to help you in the run game. Right. I, I don't think... So it's just, there, there's so many different levels you're going to see this year. Right. And I want to clarify what you're saying there, because a lot of people are probably thinking in their mind, okay, isn't that sort of the same thing that we saw with, with no. Fedora? No, no. It will not be screen passes as the only way to get the ball in their hands. It's going to be short. It's, it's, it's short routes that find holes in the defense. There is so much freedom when it comes to route running in this system. Basically... Longo has said that. You find grass. It's pretty much... The way that I like to put it is it's basically you playing a pickup game with your friends in the park. Yeah, you find your spot. Your goal is to find a way to get open enough that your quarterback can throw you the football. Plain and simple. And then your job, hang on to the football. And I think, you know, these guys are going to love it. And one of the guys that I think has really sort of settled into that and is embracing that is Corey Bell Jr. We saw it in the spring game. He knew, okay, the way I'm getting the football is get open. Do anything you can to get open. Now, that's not saying that there's not a route that they're running. It's not, oh, just run whatever route you're that, – that's not that type of pickup. It is routes, but there are so many options to these routes where you're reading what the defender is doing to you. If the defender opens up his right hip when he's facing you, you're going to go inside with your route, and you're going to find a way to cut it off if that safety's coming down. You want to find that middle area where you can get open, which I think is great, especially with how much zone defense we've seen in some of the past years in the ACC. Um, So, I mean, I I like it. I think it's going to be an easier offense for the quarterbacks to understand. You know, I wonder how just how complex some of the deeper passing routes and, and plays were for Larry Fedora's system. I think this one will be a little bit easier to understand. And for, as you mentioned, three freshmen, whoever comes out of that group to have an easier offense to understand will be something that'll help them to move the ball a lot easier. Um, Now, you know, I I think, you know, with it's, it's a little weird because we're kind of leaning on the offense pretty heavy this year because of what's on the defensive side, which is a lack of depth. And let's be really honest, this defense has not been good in a very long time. No, you can just be blunt. It's There's no depth, and right. there's not a lot of talent. I would not say that there's not a lot of talent. At all three talent. levels. You got some up front if Aaron Crawford stays healthy. Right. There's some in the back end. I think there's, I think there's talent at all three levels. But – it's not the kind of talent that you that's going to help us win games defensively. Like we're not built to go get into a 17-13 ball game. Well, now. with the offense and this is the other thing that I think is important for people to realize is this offense is going to be up tempo. Now, it's not going to be at a ridiculous pace, 
like we saw early in the Larry era, because that at the time, remember, that was the thing to do because Oregon was doing it and it was it was working so effectively. But it's still you're you're gonna go from for Jay Bateman's defense when he was at Army, thirty to forty plays offensively in a game, and when I mean you have an eleven play drive that's taken ten minutes off the clock to an offense that's probably going to run upwards of 80 to 90 plays and will have drives that could take two or three minutes to move 11 plays down the field. So it'll be interesting. I think that there is talent there. I think the defensive, to me, the defensive line is the most talented unit, I think, on the entire team outside of running back. I, I think there is a lot there. The problem is, is when you get deeper into the depth chart, even on the defensive line. It, the talent it's, level drops. The talent level drops, and one of the other main things, the experience drops. And that's where it's there, there are going to be some concerns. You can only do so much in practice, playing against guys that you see every day and playing against a scheme that you see every day. Once you get on the field, it's a totally different ballgame. But we'll see. We'll see. There's, I mean, there is talent coming in from this 2019 class. I think there's, there's some guys that could surprise each uh the coaching staff when they get on on the field and there's guys that have been on the roster that you know maybe haven't had those types of impacts yet that could have uh those impacts which we'll talk about here in just a minute um i wanted to ask you about this and then we'll turn to just some information that's come out after they broke camp in charlotte um mac brown's comments on the transfer portal uh i mean that i that can Tario coaches not go to these media um, conferences without having at least like one sort of controversial moment? I mean, now it's nowhere near the the moment that we saw last year from Larry. The downfall of America. That that was <laughs> that was really bad. That was the beginning of the end. For Should Larry. have been fired I mean, right there for that comment. I, I think that was when we all knew. Okay, something's not right. Um, I'm pretty sure that we saw him on the side of the road here in Charlotte with the sign uh, that the end is near sign. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He's down in Austin, Texas right now. We're not even going to get into that irony that's going on there. But um, so Mac Brown comments on the transfer portal were really focused on the fact that. A lot of the guys that have hit the transfer portal have not gotten better options. Um, there are some guys that I think it makes sense for. Um, there's a few guys that hit the transfer portal and still have not found a home um, that are big, big name guys. Um, you know, I think that he did make a good point with the fact that transfers really do struggle academically, which is, I, I think, is valid because I feel like your scholarship players are getting the most focus because you're welcoming in a guy that's a junior or senior and he has to go on campus with teachers that don't know him, that haven't seen him throughout his time there. Um, and I think, honestly, the coaches are really more focused on the guys that they end up recruiting and bringing in. And the transfers are kind of just brought in to play football. That's kind of what they're thought of as. Um so I thought he, he had some interesting points. Uh, the irony was that two days later, we end up landing a transfer corner, Kyler McMichael, who transfers from Clemson. Um, and now it, definitely a guy they needed to take on. Um, his interest level was high from the minute that he, de- uh, that, that he uh, entered the transfer portal. And he, his time from his time entering the transfer portal to his time committing to Carolina was under a day. So you knew there was a connection there. Um, he was high school teammates with Trey Morrison, and that's the big reason that that happened so quickly. Um, a guy that was rated inside the top 100 in his class, guy that was rated as the number eight corner according to rivals, number 10 corner according to 24/7. So a really, really talented kid. Uh, now, he is going to have to wait. Him and Bryce Watts to transfer from Virginia Tech, it seems like almost certainly will have to wait. Still waiting on Cameron Kelly. Um, you know, again, we everything is pointing to the fact that he's going to receive the, the family hardship waiver. Um, you know, because he is closer to Virginia Beach, that was the reason that he was moving back due to some family issues. So um, it looks like that. But 
Uh, I mean, first of all, I guess just your, your thoughts on, on, on his comments on the transfer portal. Are you kind of agreeing with him that it's getting a little out of hand? I agree with that part as well. Yeah, the amount of kids transferring um, in both college, basketball, and football got ridiculous this in their off seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been outspoken on the Roy's Boys podcast about I don't want that to become our new way of building teams is through the transfer portal. Um, and you, you know, Carolina's lost their first basketball into that in ten years with Seventh Woods. Right. So it hasn't been a big problem on the basketball side of things. But with what Mac Brown said is right is okay. A lot of times you're not going anywhere better. Mm-hmm. Your academics are going to suffer. But for I think for him and the program, if the situation fits for us to bring a guy in, right. Okay, then we'll look into it. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think he wants to start building his team like. Uh, like Nevada does in basketball, or some other other lower power five teams where they just bring every transfer they can get in. Like Kansas has done it for how long? Because they can't recruit. I I get it. It's it's different in the fact that you're bringing in guys that are FBS players as opposed to JUCOs. But you're you're right. Building a program through just transfers. I mean, there's there's it's it's impossible. It doesn't build anything yeah. because you're you're basically saying. We're just going to load up on guys that are going to be there one to two years. You're not building a culture, which is what you need. Yeah, and that's something that we're trying to get back to is having a culture around Carolina football. Mm-hmm. But like you said, with the kid that came from Clemson, this made sense. It made, you know, you right. you, you had the connection with Trey Morrison. Position of weakness. Yes. You're going to get weaker in this um, next offseason with so Renee leaving. Yep. I don't have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. But it's like you said, he goes on this mini spill at media days. And then the next day, Carolina's landing a kid, and it's like, okay, what are what are you doing? Um, but I think as long as it fits the program for the player that's leaving and the guy that we're trying to bring in, he's he's open to it. But there's also there's there's a problem with the transfer portal in its own self. Yeah, I agree. I think especially at the quarterback position, we've seen that. Um, I brought it up to you multiple times, Matthew Baldwin is the biggest one that I look at. He was at Ohio State, was challenging Justin Fields for the starting job. There were some people that thought he was making progress on him. And out of the blue, once everything was final with Sean Robinson transferring from TCU to Missouri, he bolted for TCU, Yeah, um, which doesn't make sense. To me, you should be sticking it out. And, you know, Mac Brown did bring that up. And, you know, I guess it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. I don't know if it quite gives this off but Mac Brown said you know look it kind of tells kids that quitting is okay um I mean is that kind of how you I don't I don't know if I see it that way it's not quitting it's just you know they have a cop out now right like, where if, if another kid beats them out well I'll just leave and go somewhere else like the beauty of what Carolina has at the quarterback position right now is in an ideal world those three guys battling make all three guys better so mm-hmm. whoever becomes the starter is going to be a heck of a lot better than he was last year if he played. Right. When he was in spring ball and even when he was in fall camp. And I think that's lost is like the, the inner competitiveness with these guys is, well, we're making each other better. Well, no, I'll just leave and go somewhere else because I'll know I'll play right away. Whereas injuries happen in this sport. Right. Hell, look at what happened with Tom Brady. He got a, an injury, got the, got the job in New England, came the best quarterback of all time. So it's part of it. So, I mean, there's a good chance a quarterback's going to get hurt. Right. Keep yourself ready. I would. I don't have a problem with them leaving when they get to their junior or senior year, but like as freshmen, no, stick it out. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I like the the one transfer per player um, proposition. I think that was Jim Harbaugh that suggested that. Um, and here's the thing, okay? So we're bringing this up. Mac Brown is not the only coach that has made this a vocal issue during media weeks. There there have been a couple of coaches that have come out and said, look, the transfer portal is getting a little out of hand. Jim Harbaugh was one of them. Um, I think there was a Big 12 coach, but I cannot remember who it was. It's it's Look, I, it's not the most ideal way to go about things with the amount of guys that have entered into the transfer portal. Now, I think it'll settle down in year two just naturally because – you know, Mac Brown said the grass is greener theory, and he's right. 
the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Right. And again, I want, you know, I, I turn back to Matthew Baldwin. Look at what the situation is at Ohio State. There are reporters that are saying that Justin Fields might not have won that position. Gunnar Hoke, the transfer from Kentucky, is giving them a push. That was announced the other day by their head coach, Ryan Day. Right. So all of a sudden, it's looking like if Baldwin had stayed, he could have won the job at Ohio State. Wouldn't have to sit out a year. And there's no guarantee that he's going to be the starter at TCU. What happens if one of their guys comes out and plays really well this next year? I'm going to tell you, Baldwin will be right back in the transfer. He'll go somewhere else. That's the issue, is that these guys will just start bouncing around. And we've seen it. We we haven't even been through one offseason of this. And we see guys like Brew McCoy, the young man that is a true freshman, transferred from USC to Texas, back to USC. That's a joke. Literally, the I, I mean, that's where it's just starting to get out of hand. So I agree, um, but I, I, you're right. Um, McMichael, I thought, was a fantastic pickup. Um, and I'm telling you, you know, they're doing a really good job of getting this secondary ready for the 2020 season. Um, I mean, they might have their two starters now in, in, in transfers, um, and that's even if Cameron Kelly doesn't come out and have as good of a year as we think there's potential to be for him. So right. that, that that's one that I really like. Um, so just these, these were some things that came out afterwards that we wanted to update you guys about. The AC media polls came out on Monday. So apparently now they're not doing it during, like, when everybody's there. I thought you came in, you voted, they released them on Thursday. No, now they wait till Monday, and Carolina, sixth in the Coastal. But the weirdest thing, they received one first-place vote. Everybody did. Everybody in the Coastal received a first-place vote, including Georgia Tech, who was switching from a triple-option offense to a spread offense, received a vote to finish first place in the Coastal. It's it's not surprising because this is as wacky a division as you're going to find in pretty college much, football. Pretty much. Uh, if Virginia holds her into the bargain, that'd be seven different winners in seven years. Right, so, which they're my preseason pick. By yeah, way. <laughs> to win um, the division. They probably yeah. have the best team on that side of, of the division. Definitely the most experienced core as well. Yeah, yeah, um, you're right. So six is it feels right considering you've only won five games in two years. Right, you've got so many questions on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a chance that this team could take off and get to six or seven wins. And we saw last year, seven wins, you played in, in for a conference championship. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think year. it's going to happen, but I don't necessarily say we need to be discouraged by being picked six. I think we understand yeah. the, re- the realistic from the media. There's no reason to trust this team. They haven't done anything in two years. Yeah, you've gone 5-18 and 18 um, in the last two years. That's not really going to get you any harder. And we all know going all in that, we're building more for the next year as more opposed to this year. Right. So I wasn't surprised by that. I, I want to kind of mention to people that the gap, I think, I think Virginia is the clear favorite. I think Miami and Virginia Tech are the challengers in most people's minds. If they get a quarterback. I think the next tier is where Carolina is. I think Georgia Tech is kind of everybody's last place finisher just because they're the nature that, that's of such the, a drastic yes. switch. I look, I love the hire from them. I think Jeff Collins is going to be an amazing coach, but it's going to take time. So I think they will prop them at seven is smart. But I think four through six is really close. I think Pittsburgh's going to take a step back because they lost their top two running backs. It's not going to be easy to just replace them. I know Pittsburgh has done it for years now where they've just rolled great running backs in and out. And we got to remember but, Carolina beat Pittsburgh last year. Right. So, yeah, I don't I and that's the thing. We've had their number they we've never lost to them since they've came into the ACC. Right. So it's it's kind of hard to say, okay, they're that high head and shoulders above us. There's also Duke. They lose their starting quarterback. I understand there are people that love Quentin Harris. I saw him last year against Virginia Tech. He didn't really impress me. He's been okay. I don't think he's a guy you can say, okay, we're going to beat them easily. But I think that they will take a step back. They lose a lot defensively as well. So it's not going to be easy for them. And then you got Carolina, which we've got a lot of our guys returning from last year. We were in a lot of close games. Usually that stat flips. Now the problem was we were in a lot of close games the year before and that stat didn't flip. Maybe it does now with a better coach. We don't know. 
So I think that four to six range is really, really close. And I think, look, there's a possibility with Virginia Tech being whatever they are. I mean, I don't I don't really call it a disaster, but they've had a lot of transfers. Fuente's starting to feel the heat. Miami is in a weird spot where they seem to have everything else ready, but they don't have a quarterback. And if they go with the wrong guy, they could be in a little bit of trouble. Maybe Carolina, if they find a way to beat them at home in the second game of the season, all of a sudden, that ACC Coastal looks a little different. And here's the thing. Carolina could still be in it late. And, I mean, I'm not getting anybody's hopes up because I don't think this is – I don't think this is what is going to happen. But there's a possibility that things could go crazy enough that they could make the ACC championship game because look at who the favorite is in the ACC Coastal. Virginia, who has not beaten Virginia Tech in, what, 13 years yeah. now? Never know. But it's I, I don't see that. It's, it's going to take a while. I think. I think it'll take at least until next year. I, I don't think you should get overly excited. But six, I, I, yeah, you think you're right. And then one of the other things, Mac Brown brought it up. He challenged the fans to go out, fill the stadium. That's the way that these guys are going to perform better. It's on you. Well, season ticket sales are completely sold out. All season tickets for the Tar Heels are sold out. So now you can only buy individual tickets. I don't even know if you can do the mini yeah, yeah, those, passes. Those are still available. Are they still available? Yeah. Okay, because I knew that so, – I know uh, Clemson has sold out and so has App State. Um, but I believe those two weren't in there. So uh, the other four home games, there are still individual tickets left, but season tickets are sold out. That's a huge step in the right direction for Carolina. That's a huge step for Mac Brown, who has challenged this fan base repeatedly. I mean, you said it. You know, he, this has been his focus really since they stepped off the recruiting trail. Yeah, um, this is something that he's you know mentioned a lot of times. We gotta. You got to change the game day experience. Well, how do you change that? You get people in the stands. We've heard there's going to be changes to the in-game experience at Keenan. We don't know exactly what those entail just yet. Um, they've made tailgating a lot easier because tailgating has always been hard with the way that the stadium is constructed around campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to get people there, um, you know. And that's that's the you know. And luckily, our fan base has bought back in. Um, because he's been preaching and he's challenged ever since he took the job that we got to get people back in the stands. Because when he left, Keenan was full every Saturday. Right. And it was a full for a majority of Butch Davis's tenure. Mm-hmm. And even when Larry won 11 straight games, we couldn't fill Keenan Stadium. That's a problem. Um, so hopefully we're getting back to having full stadiums on Saturdays. It helps that, yeah, they reduced the stadium size to 52,000. But I think we can both agree the stadium was too big. For, oh, definitely. For what we are in football. Definitely. In a basketball uh, state, it's it's hard to put so, 65,000. I'm really proud of the fans that have, have bought the season tickets. Uh, I know you've bought season tickets. That's right. Go, yep. I'm going to be going to three or four games myself mm-hmm. this year. So we need to show up. We need to be loud and support these guys because they have worked hard the oh, last couple definitely. years when they haven't won. Um, the frustration part for us as fans came more with the coaching staff, not the players. So we just show up, and, uh, and 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 that'll start changing the culture around Carolina football. Yeah, I think they've they've done this part. Now it's about look, you got the season tickets. Now go to the games. Don't be giving them away to other fan bases, which there have been issues with that before. But this is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, one thing, okay, I want to mention this before we move on to our main topic. You will be doing O-line reports for us this year in season. That'll be one of our new features that we're going to do. So each week, you guys know that I do the recap where basically I give you what we learned from the week. I give you probably about four or five um, points that we learned, kind of, you know, who stood out, stuff like that. Um, You're going to actually be focusing on the offensive and defensive lines. You'll do the trench reports, actually. Um, So... You know, you want to tell people a little bit about what you're kind of thinking about with that. I mean, you got an interesting group because I think the offensive line is going to be better than people expect. And I think the defensive line is a really, really good unit. You're going to look forward to writing about Jason Strobridge. Yeah, it's going to be just something about well, – I'll probably do some stuff in the preseason as we get closer to camp, just looking at the position, mm-hmm. um, giving you some guys to look at as we get ready for the season. And just a week-by-week week, – snapshot of how that those two position groups played 
if you know football, if you listen to Kirk Herbstreit, the game is won at the line of scrimmage. Oh, are you sure? I've never heard him say that. Um, and so we're just going to bring a different dimension. Or I'm going to bring a different dimension to the heel tough blog stuff in the po- in the in the in the podcast where we're going to look at how the O line performed and how the D line performed. And I can guarantee you, if we win, it's because both units played very well. And if we lost, it's because probably one unit wasn't as good as the other. Yeah, I'm and intrigued. So it's just going to be it's going to be fun. Gives me another way to contribute as I kind of have some downtime before basketball season yeah, picks up. off um, for me uh, on, on the Roy's Boy side of things. But yeah, really excited about this. Yeah, um, it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm with you. I think both groups have they got intriguing individual players, and I think as as units, we're going to see them grow under their their new position coaches. So yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a great feature. I'm really excited for it. Um, it's a hundred bucks an article. Um, Stop. <laughs> Hundred bucks an article. No, it's free. Don't worry. There's, I was talking about, was talking about yeah. to you. I I want a hundred dollars every time I write. That's so. hilarious. So you're quite you you're not a hundred dollar quality. Wow. Okay. okay. But no, it's going to be a great feature. You guys can go on read that throughout the season. That'll start, of course, with the first game of the year against South Carolina, which will actually be a pretty good one to start with. Of course, we are looking, of course, at all times for anybody that does want to help us out. You know, this is kind of what we're how we look at it. We were guys that were just trying to get started. We're guys that are passionate about Tario football. If you're passionate about Tario football, you want to write a little bit about Tario football, just let us know. Uh, just email me, uh, heels fifty fourteen twenty two five one at gmail.com. Wow. There we go. Or, mine, mine is simpler. Joshua Marlowe 5 at gmail. There you go. Or, or just Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, Facebook, Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. At, at Future Tar Heel on Twitter. Um, you can also just go to the Heel Tough blog uh, page. You can message that account, um, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you. All that we ask is just communication. We want to make sure that we're not writing the same stuff. We don't want somebody that comes in and says, I want to write an offensive line and defensive line report for each week. We already have some. So yeah. we want to make sure that we're not – uh, putting too many articles about one thing on there, but we're always looking for people to join us. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Zach Hubbard is joining us back on the podcast. He'll be on for some recruiting stuff. Maybe there'll be times where both of you guys will be on at the same time, too. That'll be pretty interesting as well. But we want to turn to the breakout players for 2019. It's the main focus of this podcast. We did top five, so how do you want to do this? You want to go... Like you read your list and then I read mine, or do you want to do alternating where like you can we'll go. go number five and then you can go first. Okay. Um, so I mean, most of you guys, if you keep up with the blog, you've probably seen this. I've released it a little more detail into why we, you know, why I picked who I picked. Um, but I'll give you a little bit of a brief recap here. You guys can of course go read that at heeltoughblog.com. That'll be underneath the opinion tab as well as uh, the top news stories. I think it's still up there. Um, We haven't put out uh, enough just yet, so you guys could probably still find it. Um, But we'll start with number five. I put Chris Collins, the outside linebacker. He is going to be a sophomore. Played in six games last year, so just didn't qualify for that redshirt freshman status. But in the time that he was on the field last year, most of it came late in the year. He was effective. He did finish with one sack, two and a half tackles for loss, and six total tackles. So the stats aren't mind-blowing, but when he was in there, he was effective. He's a guy that can get pressure on the quarterback. And likely, he's going to be one of the main guys to play that rush end position that we have been talking about so much in this new Jay Bateman defense. So it seems like he's a good guy to pick. I really liked everything that I saw from him last year. I think he also has some special teams value with how athletic he is, which tells you why he's going to be able to play that rush end. So I think he's one of the big names to keep an eye on. Number four, I have DJ Ford the safety he's going to probably rotate back and forth wherever they need him because he is playing behind two of the more injury prone players on the team unfortunately miles dorn has had injuries each of the last two years in the spring he did not participate in spring camp fully um, this year and then also he'll be behind miles wolfolk who's had injury issues throughout his career so DJ Ford's a guy that isn't projected to start. It's always kind of risky going with one of those guys as the breakout players, but 
He had a fantastic spring. If he can stay healthy himself, I think he's going to see a lot of playing time due to the guys that are in front of him and the fact that there is some talent there. So DJ Ford is one of my breakout players. I have him at number four. Number three, I have offensive tackle Jordan Tucker. Now, we saw him last year in limited roles up until the game against NC State. As you guys know, William Sweet was unable to play in that game due to an injury. Jordan Tucker was the guy that stepped in and was really good against a really good NC State defensive line last year. Now, of course, that's defensive line for State wasn't talked about as much as the one the year prior, but they still put up very impressive numbers in the first 11 games of the season. Jordan Tucker was fantastic against them, helped Carolina have a big day on the ground, as well as a relatively good day through the air. Most of the Issues that Carolina had passing the football on that day were because of drops, because of the weather. Um, but Jordan Tucker, I think, is one of those guys to keep an eye on. He's very athletic for an offensive tackle, moves real well. And he was a guy that last year was very effective when we saw him in run-blocking situations. So I think he's your number three guy to keep an eye on. Number two is Jeremiah Gemmel the inside linebacker, I think he's going to be the guy that's going to ultimately start there. Jonathan Smith is the guy that's going to come back. Of course, he was not with the team in the spring due to some off-the-field issues with academics. Now, it just kind of depends for him um, what Dominic Ross does. Dominic Ross might move to that outside linebacker position, and that might allow Jonathan Smith to get on the field. But I think if it's a battle between Gemmel and and Jonathan Smith, I think there's a real chance that Jeremiah Gemmel can beat him out. He's a guy that's pretty much going to be like Cole Holcomb. He's a little bit smaller, but a really good tackler. He's got good movement. If you need him to cover in space, he could probably get the job done, but that shouldn't be where you need him the most, and I don't think that will be where Carolina needs him. That's the reason I have him at number two on my list. And then number one, the guy that I think has the biggest breakout season, I think is Deami Brown. He fits this offense so well. He's going to love playing in this offense. A great route runner at the high school level. We saw it a little bit early last year, and there was a reason that he was a starter in the first game of the year. Most forget he beat out Bo Corrales to start the season last year um so i i think that in this new offense it's really going to work for him he has that ability to take the top off of defenses as well something that we've kind of been looking for since mac hollins left i think diami brown's your guy and that's the reason that i have him as my number one breakout player for the 2019 season um for more on on my list you can go on to heeltoughblog.com but what you got for us buddy all right so for me i have um <sighs> Noah Ruggles. I'm just kidding. I'm gonna, I was, I was, I was kind of going to go smart, but it's not the worst pick. Um, I mean, he's, we, he we, is we a do kicker. need to get back to kicking the ball at a really good. Okay. Um, it's, it's true. Um, Ruggles, Ruggles is a pretty good one because Phil Longo's offense also struggled putting the ball in the end zone last year. They had a kicker. And that, you know, hopefully that's, that's going to change this times. year. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I'm not going to go one through five. I'm just going to give you my five. I'm going to cheat right away. I'm going to get a quarterback. If you, it's not really cheating. It's just kind of bold if, because if, you might have the wrong guy. If you know me, I've been on record thinking that Cade Fortin is the guy. Troy, Troy, you and you and Troy Fortin should be really um, good friends. Troy's I a great left, guy. He listens to the podcast all the time. Great I guy. left the game that we watched us play against NC State and watched this kid throw the ball in wet, windy conditions. It was cold. That's about as hard to throw a football. Is when it's cold, wet, and it's raining. It was still nothing on the on the Mitch Trubisky it hurricane game. Let's let's just clear that up. And but yeah, you're right. He was throwing dimes. You can talk about drops. Half of his incompletions were the fact that we just didn't catch the football. Yeah, there were that. That was a bad um, game for drops. If, if if we catch half the balls he put into play, we win the ball game. Plain and simple. Uh, Larry Fedora probably is still employed by the university for God's sake. So thank you for all those drops because we got Mac Brown, but. I left that game thinking, okay, if we get if something changes at the head coaching, we've got a quarterback, mm-hmm. and so I think Cade Fortin is going to ultimately win the job and be the guy that leads this quarterback or this offense back to what it needs to be, which is putting the ball in the end zone at a high level, okay. and we're going to be winning games. Okay, so I'm going to take Cade Fortin. Um, I'm with you on Diami Brown. I really think everything you agree with mm-hmm. this offense is built for him. I told you the other day, it's a shame we did not get Ryan Switzer in this offense because we saw what he did under Larry Fedora where he set records 
I can only imagine what he would do with what the receivers are going to be allowed, the freedom they're going to have to do it with Phil Longo. You talked about on the basketball podcast what makes you get going sports-wise. <laughs> Ryan Switzer and Phil Longo's offense gets me going yeah, sports-wise. I mean, Just that, that would be freedom to run his own routes a little bit. Holy, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so... I'm really, I'm really excited to see Diami Brown on the field making right. a lot of plays. I've also got another receiver, um, and I'm actually going to go with the guy that he beat out last year, and that's Bo Corrales. We've seen Bo okay. Corrales make some plays that had us wondering, why are you not on the field more? Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the catch against Miami two years ago, where he had, I think, two touchdowns in that one game, but he, of course, he had this spectacular right. catch the one time. He's got all the physical gifts, you would imagine. Mm-hmm. He just hasn't gotten on the field. <laughs> I think he's going to find a way to get on the field this year. We need an, a guy on the outside to go get the football. I think it's going to be him. Okay. Um, so that's my third guy. Like I give you what five? Five. Um, I was going defensively, and probably two guys that I mean we 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 really liked, but I think we're going to see the continued growth of them. Okay. Uh, you and I both loved Trey Morrison last year. Um, this was a guy. That's my favorite player on the defense. Like. I, there was a guy that asked me, who do I think is the best defensive prospect on the team? And I told them it was Trey Morrison if he's not a nickelback. Nickelbacks aren't as high, in as high of demand um, as they probably should be at the NFL level. Trey Morrison, I think, is the most talented overall defensive player on this team. Yeah. I do um, think that. And, you know, he had his problems last year as a young guy that we expected. But I think you're going to see him really take mm-hmm. more ownership in that secondary um, make a lot more plays and be a big part of what this defense is going to do if they're going to start stopping people on a semi-regular basis. And then the last one, I will agree with you with uh, Jeremiah Gimmel. Uh, okay. We haven't seen a whole lot from Jonathan Smith since he got the job. I never really thought he deserved the job, but just the way the depth chart was constructed, we really didn't have anybody else at, t- at times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a guy that I think is going to be around the football a lot, making plays, and will be an exciting linebacker to, to watch. And this in this scheme with Jay Bateman, that's going to change from not from game to game, from drive to drive. And I think it's going to be a lot more fun to watch Carolina defensively. Right. I don't know if they're going to stop people. We don't know that, but I think we're going to see a, a lot more blitzing, a lot more pressure, just a lot more tactical changes that we never got under Vic Coning or anybody. So right. Um, it's definitely going to be. Interesting to watch both sides of the ball this year. That's my five breakout players there for you go. 2019. There you go. I uh, I like how you are writing offensive line and defensive and didn't line. Have a single one Did in not there. have a single one in there. Jordan, um, Jordan Tucker represent, baby. Um, no, but I mean, it's it's weird because like... Oh, I mean like, okay, we know Aaron Crawford and Strobridge see, that's are going to play. I, I like how you played it because it's easy to say guys like Michael Carter... Guys like Jason Strobridge because they're not known nationally. I think Michael Carter actually is more the risk there. I, w- I wanted to talk about this. I think Jason Strobridge could make a, a name for himself nationally. This, I, this is I a don't kid know. that we watched as a freshman, and I was right. like, okay, this kid's good. And he was playing out of position. Yeah. Let's be really um, honest. At the three-technique defensive tackle, he does not fit. And and Aaron Crawford, the so, last two years, was the heart and soul of the defense. He just, a lot like Michael Carter, has been injured. He couldn't get on the field last year. Um, if and he's yeah. healthy, this defense is going to be better. Right. He's actually down in way two, yeah. so he's going to move around a lot better. Well, that's a big part of better. what they've done with they've got right. smaller on both sides of the ball. Except for and the Lancine trenches. to Ray, baby. Well, I'm talking about the <laughs> trenches. They've gotten smaller. Right. Oh, but they've gotten bigger. Uh, with the linebackers are bigger. Um, and let's talk about the Terebi. Thirty-five. Can we pounds. talk about that Lancine Teray? Um, I mean, he, you he and I put thirty-five up. pounds on in a year, but it was because of beer and chicken wings. I mean, oh not, not muscle. Yeah, that's because of our Wendy's Taco Bell fast food diet, as opposed to the keto diet or whatever they got him going on over there. Yeah, he's put on thirty-five pounds of of muscle. Uh, He's he's going to be a freak on the edge. This was a guy that, okay, they were telling me, people that were around the team were telling me in the spring, okay, this this young man is going to have his hand in the dirt. And I'm still, th- you know, at the time, I'm thinking, okay, he's still in the 245 range. How the hell are you putting his hand in the dirt? Because he get his ass he's blown off the line. Yeah. Now he's at 280, <laughs> and it's a whole different story. 
Um, yeah, no, that's ridiculous. They have so many guys. Uh, Toriel Illustrated was the one that put out the article. They did a great job. They have all the different weights, where looking, the guys were, I was just looking at to that. how high they go. Um, I don't remember who put that out. I think it might have been Andrew Jones. They do a fantastic job. Love all those guys over there. They're all great. Of course, we've had Jacob Turner on plenty of times. But that was... <laughs> We we had to laugh about that. I mean, congratulations, Lancine. I mean, I, we love it. Hey, put on the weight that you got to. Um, I think he's going to be great. Um, he comes from a, a line of guys. Kamoko, his brother, uh, is playing in the NFL right now. He's a part of the Colts. Played at Rutgers. Was talented. Um, I'm intrigued though. But uh, yeah, no, I'm. You know, when I was going through, I was kind of shocked that I didn't put one of the other defensive linemen on there. Okay, I'll but, give you one. And this is probably because I think his name is awesome. You give me Wisdom Asaburo to be a, 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 a productive player on this defense so I can just say that name on this podcast and write that. Because that, that name is phenomenal. It is. That it is, is a phenomenal name. Unfortunately, Wisdom probably will not play this year. He's going to redshirt, one, because he reclassified from the 2020 class. He's a two, breakout redshirt player going into 2020. Two, he's got a knee injury that he's working back from. Um, so hopefully it doesn't look like it. Uh, we're ready for that. We're ready for Wisdom Osaburo and Storm Duck combination oh, of pressure and interception. That is going to be um, one of the fu- th- th- those are going to be the funnest moments. Uh, Storm Duck's one to keep an eye on. I know I wonder a lot of if Storm Duck is doing the Area 51 Storm Raid. I mean, maybe. stop. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Hopefully, none um, of the podcast listeners are either. But no, I, I like the I like the list though, and I like here's the thing that I like about your list. You put two wide receivers on there. People might say, "How do you put two wide receivers?" Last year in Phil Longo's offense, they had three guys that were over a thousand yards receiving. They would. We going need guys to, be to catch production. The ball. Yes, from guys that we haven't seen production from right. at a high level. And I like Corrales. Corrales, I think, has to step up and be that red zone threat, especially with Brandon Fritz. Hurt out, or we don't know what's going to yeah. happen with him. Hopefully, he comes back because suffering two ACL injuries back to back is just some of the worst luck that you could have. And unfortunately, I think he probably his career is probably going to be over. I don't know if they're going to give him another year after this year if he doesn't play. But we need that red zone threat. I think Corrales could be that guy because he can go up and get the football. I-, I think you're right. He could have that Bug Howard type season where. You know, we had seen those things from Bug Howard, and then in 2016, it Bug put it all together. together. Yeah. So and, maybe and, that's and what we'll see. We from. need we need a guy that we can just say, "Boop, go get the football." Like you're a Cowboys fan, so you're going to reference Des Bryant. Yes, but again. I mean, it's it's just a big part of of, of offenses where <laughs> no, if, you're if, right. If though. you're going to throw the ball down the field, right? There's going to be a time where Fortin's going to misplace it. One way or how or Ruder, I, I, I can't get caught saying that he's the quarterback. The quarterback's going to misplace the ball, but someone's got to have the nuts to go get the thing. Well, the, the thing is, is you got to think once you get inside the red zone, you're not working with as much field. Exactly. So guys like Daz Newsom aren't going to be able to be quite as effective. You need that guy that, yeah, I'm going to throw a lob ball up and they're going to go and get it. I mean, Anthony Ratliff Williams had that last year. Unfortunately, he doesn't return, which. You know, for me, and unfortunately, he didn't have a quarterback that could get him. The that's ball. what I'm saying. Can you imagine if he was in this offense this year with Howell or Reuter or Fortin. Fortin, one of the three? I mean, we saw a little bit of it late last year with with Fortin. He had a couple catches in that game where he had to go up and get it. Yeah, and he was probably thinking in his mind, you know, he probably knew at the time, I'm leaving. Why the hell couldn't this guy have been in all yeah. season? You know, so it would have been interesting to see. But I think Corrales can take over. All right, so we head to the 40-yard dash. We're going to shut the podcast down um, by just giving you a couple of little tidbits here. Um, And we just talked about some of our players that we think could break out. There are three guys that nationally people think could break out, and they're on the watch list. Now, don't go buy this because, look, there are 50 or 60 guys on each of these watch lists. But Michael Carter makes the Doak Walker Award list. Um, That's a pretty big one because there are a lot of talented running backs in the country. I think it's possible, but with the fact that he is splitting time in the backfield, it's going to be pretty tough. Carl Tucker is on the Mackey watch list, and I know some people might think this is a little weird. Carl Tucker led the ACC in receiving last year. Let that sink in. That is how, now, it was a combination of the fact that Tucker stayed healthy and got the ball a little more, and the rest of the ACC wasn't catching as many passes, but still 
have him on the Mackey watch list, pretty impressive. And then one guy that I just cannot believe was not on the All-ACC preseason team that Charlie was released Heck. yesterday. Charlie Heck's an Outland watch list guy, and he should be. I mean, come on. Hell he is an grown. offensive lineman. Remember, he came to Carolina as a tight end, took his redshirt year, played a little bit his freshman year, and then his sophomore year became a starter that is now, in my opinion, one of, if not the best offensive tackle in the ACC. I mean, really, you, you look at his statistics from last year, uh, and it's it's shocking. I think he allowed two sacks all of last year at tackle, which in a game that is – you know, we we've seen it. All the sport, all sports have these statistics that all of a sudden are elevated at a certain period of time. Sacks is a big one when it comes to football. If you don't sack the quarterback, most people don't think you're going to be all that successful. And the statistics tend to prove that. Charlie Heck did a great job last year of protecting a quarterback that, let's be really honest, was kind of all over the place at times. So you got to hand it to him. Now he's going to have a better quarterback that's going to get the ball out quicker. I think that's only going to help him. So Charlie Heck on the Outland watch list. Uh, Jaquarius Conley, the four-star safety from right here in the state of North Carolina. He comes out of Jacksonville. He put the heels in his top four, which is big. He's narrowed his list down. Now the thing is, is he's still a little bit away from making a decision. He has not taken any official visits. So unless someone just blows him out of the water, which some people think that Georgia's offer did, then he won't commit anytime soon. Um, right now, it seems like the Tar Heels and South Carolina are the teams in the lead. South Carolina was the early lean. Now it's starting to sort of trend back towards undecided where, you know, basically they these recruiting analysts don't really have a read on him, um, which is kind of where we've been with him for the most part. He's pretty quiet about his commitment. Um, but we'll, of course, keep you updated on anything that's going to happen uh, in terms of that, but we think we're still a little bit away. 2021 quarterback Drake May, on the other hand, he did make a decision. He has committed to Alabama over North Carolina and others. Of course, everybody thought that we were the favorites. The Tar Heels were the favorites to land him, but Alabama ends up getting his commitment, and that's part of the reason why we don't know if Mark May will be with us on August 31st. He said that he may be going down to watch their game in the Georgia Dome against Duke. Um, with Drake, it just really depends on whether or not Drake is on the invite ease list for Nick Saban. I'm assuming he probably will be considering that's his quarterback in the 2021 class. But we'll, of course, let you know everything that's going on. The thing about it is, is it's still kind of early. So I don't know if this recruitment is completely over. I wouldn't give I, up on it yeah, just, just yet. And even if it, even, even if for some reason it is, they do have Caleb Hood. That's the son of former cornerback Errol Hood, um, he comes from Rockingham, North Carolina, plays at Richmond High School. I've seen him in person a couple of times. Kid's, kid's really good. So they're, it, it, the Tar Heels, first of all, are not going to be dying for a quarterback in the 2021 class unless something happens with one of the guys that we have now and they transfer out, which is possible. Um, but if they are, there are still plenty of options left, and this recruitment is not over. Believe me, it's not over. Um, they're still going to keep pushing for it. Mac Brown is going to push for this one big time. We'll see. Alabama's pretty tough to try to flip from, but you never really know. The roster was released this past Wednesday. Not today, but last Wednesday. Uh, no real big surprise. A lot of guys changing numbers. You guys can go to HeelToughBlog.com um, slash current-roster, and that's where you can find the current roster for the Tarios. You can look at everybody that's on the roster. The biggest surprise, no Devon Lawrence. It looks like he is out of the football program. Um, really pretty much what a lot of people around the team are saying is, frankly, it just didn't work out. So he's going to move on and go somewhere else. Um, we wish him the best of luck. Of course, he had tried to move to slot receiver receiver earlier in the spring then moved back for the spring game to running back it just doesn't seem like there's enough space for him on the roster unfortunately so he is going to go elsewhere other than that no real shocks Josh Downs and Clyde Pender both of those guys announced that they will be heading to the U.S. Army All-American game in January of course that's where Sam Howell starred last year um, it's a, arguably overtaken the Under Armour All-American game as the biggest game mainly because the Under Armour All-American game is 
a bunch of Alabama, LSU, and Florida State prospects just gearing up for a practice. Um, the U.S. Army All-American game seems a little bit more open. Um, Josh Downs makes a lot of sense according to his ranking. Clyde Pender doesn't make a lot of sense according to his ranking because somehow, even with the new rankings that were released yesterday, Clyde Pender is not getting anywhere closer to being a four-star. Still don't get that. Um, and you guys can read the reactions to those uh, rankings that came out. Uh, that's right now on the homepage at HeelToughBlog.com, where you can go to the recruiting tab and check that out. All the reactions to those. Uh, Jacoby Criswell gets moved up to a four-star as well. And then one of the guys that will make their decision uh, soon, only guy that's actually on the radar to make his decision soon, Kedrick Bingley-Jones. He's still a four-star as of the new rankings. He's going to make his decision on August 3rd. Everything is trending in the right direction for the Tar Heels. It looks like they are going to get another very talented lineman in this defensive class, and that doesn't even count Desmond Evans, the five-star who right now is still strongly crystal ball to North Carolina. So we want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the podcast. As we mentioned, we're going to start making this a regular thing. So we will be back next week to do another edition. We're getting ready. We're in season mode here, um, getting you guys ready for the 2019 season. Mentioned earlier, mention it again. Come out, hang out with us on August 31st. Starts at 11 o'clock a.m., go to about 1 o'clock p.m. Um, you can come down there, get your own Blue Cup. They have their version of the Blue Cup. Uh, that's the place in Charlotte to go because it's owned by a Tar Heel. So um, a great place to come out. We'll be out there with some special guests. We'll be out there talking Carolina football ahead of their game against South Carolina. So come on out and hang out with us. It'll be 1300 Central Avenue right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, we are excited for that as we are excited for some of the other stuff that we're putting content-wise online. I've got the position-by-position position group previews coming out for you guys. That's one of my favorite features that I do every single year. We'll go through we'll talk about every single guy that is on the roster at at least a little background for you on those guys and we'll start out with the biggest one quarterback we'll come right out of the gate with the biggest battle uh talk about that in depth there and uh we'll go you know we're, we're going to give you our predictions with how the depth chart's going to look at least my predictions of how the depth chart's going to look so it'll be very interesting. You guys will want to check that out at HeelToughBlog.com. We got some great stuff up there right now. As I mentioned, we got the reactions to uh, the new rankings from 24-7 Sports. We've got my breakout players. We're also going to have bold predictions coming out. Uh, that's going to be coming out uh, probably tonight or tomorrow. Um, so there's some awesome stuff for you guys to check out on HeelToughBlog.com. That's where you can find that. That's where you can find this podcast. Just go to the podcast tab or HeelToughBlog.com slash podcast. You can also find it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn.com, the TuneIn app, really anywhere that you can find your podcast. If you want to go to the home site that we uploaded to, Spreaker.com is the place to do that. And you can check out all the old editions of the podcast. Um, most popular one, of course, is with Phil Steele, but we got some other great stuff up there for you guys as well. So want to thank Josh for uh, sitting in with us again, helping us break down the breakout players for the 2019 season. And once again, want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Go Tar Heels!